Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today on Fostering Solutions is Dr. Anika Williams. Um, Hi, so it's a pleasure to meet you, Dr. Williams. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a treat to meet you as well. Yes. So tell the audience about yourself. Who is Dr. Onika Williams? Well, Dr. Onika Williams is first and foremost a child of God, Mm -hmm. filled with all of the infinite possibilities that comes with this unique and divine creation. And so I live my life from this place of unlimited because I know that I was created to be unlimited. Mm -hmm. I am the daughter, the granddaughter, the great granddaughter of strong women of Indian and um, black, black, Guyanese black descent, African descent, Mm -hmm. and women who my mother was the first to go off to college, but who had a real strong commitment to education and to real discipline and to moving the race or the, the, their generations forward just through sheer grit and hard work. And my, I'm the daughter of a, of, of a journalist, of, of um, a man who didn't finish high school because he had to leave school in Guyana to work to support his family, but yet through just, you know, grit was able to pull himself up by his bootstraps and to make opportunities and to take advantage of opportunities that came his way. So I am a daughter, a wife, a mother, a community advocate, uh, you know, a surgeon, an author. I, I am just someone who is committed to making a difference and to using the gifts that I have been blessed to have to create paths for others. Wonderful. That's one thing we have in common. We're, we were both born in Guyana. Yes. In South America. This, folks always get you know the country mixed up, but it's mm-hmm. Guyana mm-hmm. in South America. So that's one thing we, we have in common. Absolutely. So describe uh, your career trajectory. You, you have a, a, a storied career and talk about you know, how you have um, evolved to the place you are and what hurdles, if any, you had to overcome along the way. That is certainly a tall order for this <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> training in, in all the many things that comes with trying to be uh, you know, excellent in, in this country, the hurdles are many. But my path started in Guyana. Mm-hmm. And I grew up and was born in Georgetown, Guyana, and in the Caribbean, and you know, in Guyana, just a huge commitment to education. Like that is the path forward, that is the ladder upon which you climb to success. And my mother was a science teacher, is still a science teacher. My dad is a journalist. And so we really grew up with this exciting environment around just learning, this love of learning, this lifelong learning, and constantly engaging, not just with the students that my mother taught, but also the 
various guests that my dad would bring home who would come from all of these various places and have stories and interesting lives that we would sit as children at the kitchen table and just listen and absorb so much, you know, just kind of exposure. In Guyana, you will remember, we did not have television. Right, it was and the radio. Yes, and so our kind of window and door to the outside world were through books and the people that you met. And so developed a love of science, a love of writing, a love of reading, mm -hmm. a love of learning. And when I was 11, my parents, my family moved to Barbados where I attended an all-girls school. I have a twin brother. So my twin brother went to the all-boys school. My, I went to the all-girls school. And I would say the first probably pivotal point and hurdle that I would have overcome that early in my life at age 13, when I decided I wanted to do medicine, I was at an all-girls school and physics was not available wow. to girls. They had decided for whatever reason that girls couldn't do physics. Wow. And so here it was a prerequisite for medical school and I didn't have access to it because of my gender. And my brother was in the corresponding all boys school doing physics and every other wow. science topic that he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the importance of advocacy and raising your hand when you encounter hurdles. What do we do when we encounter a hurdle? Speak up, raise your voice. And I was fortunate enough to be not just in a family where I had parents who believed that girls and boys should have access to the same things mm -hmm. and who believed in my potential to be able to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so they approached the Ministry of Education and said, listen, you know, this young woman wants to do medicine. She's more than capable. And thankfully, we were in a system where despite this was going against the status quo, despite this was something that they had met. I mean, you know, they didn't come to people who wanted to do physics, but it was just not available. And folks just either did it after they graduated from school and took an extra year to take physics. But they were open to the notion that we could create a solution. And so together they decided that I would transfer to the all boys school to enter as the first girl in a school of all high school of all boys, not just to take physics, but to complete the rest of my high school career until I did O levels. And so that was, I mean, transformational for me to see the possibilities when you have support, when you speak up. And then of course, to roll up my sleeve to basically yeah. have to, you know, go toe to toe. To perform, right. Yeah. To perform. Once they did all that, you, you know, egg, you, can't, eggs, you can't exactly be a failure that, yeah. Exactly. So with that, you know, kind of transformational experience, it, helped me even though I didn't know it at the time it wasn't like I was walking around like well yes I'll you know I'm going to be positive and this you know it was my parents said you have a job to do go in and just take care of business get it done yeah get it done and so then when I left uh hop when I left Christchurch Foundation School which was in in Barbados and I did it my A-levels at Harrison's College then I came up to and people who know the English system would know O-levels and A-levels 
I did A-levels in the sciences, physics, chemistry, and math, and then came up to Johns Hopkins University to be a, where I was a biophysics major. And there again, the first week of college, I knew I was going to be a doctor. That was clear. It has always been my goal. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that I did was to identify the pre-med advisor to access her and said, okay, I'm here. Tell me what I need to do. Give me all the highlights, all the pearls of wisdom. What do I need to do mm -hmm. to be successful? And what she said to me, white woman, what she said to me was, you're a foreign student. I had no status in this country at, this, at that time. You are not going to get into an American medical school. You should plan to go back to the Caribbean for medical school. Oh, wow. That was my first week of college. And so another hurdle. And thankfully, I had already had this experience where I had encountered a hurdle and the system and my parents had made the necessary, you know, arrangements and problem solving strategies to allow me to do what I didn't have access to. So I already knew that there was no such thing as you, you, you can't overcome this hurdle. And second, and the hurdle of being a foreign student and foreign students don't get into medical school and the hurdle of this person without even knowing me, looking at the color of my skin and making a decision based on where I was from, that I, I, I knew that I had never been told you cannot. It was not something that was part of, of the vocabulary. And when I did encounter that once, we had a way of, of circumventing that. So I, 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 it was clear to me. I mean, I, I shed my tears. I called my parents. I mean, you know, you're, you're right. I'm coming up. Your immediate 18, reaction. Yeah. Just stepped off the plane with my two suitcases, no family to drive me up to college. Well, my godparents dropped me off. But, you know, not the same type of situation where so many college students have everything in the kitchen sink. They bring them. I, I was there, you know, on my own. So after I kind of, you know, went through my kind of first, like, what, what is this? Oh my God, I can't believe, and so on and so forth. I realized that I needed to find someone else mm -hmm. who could be that advisor, be that advocate, and who could invest in me, despite what the external, you know, kind of circumstances may suggest. Mm -hmm. And so I went through that my college career, graduated a semester early from Hopkins, and then got into every medical school that I applied to, having only applied to the top medical schools. Mm -hmm. And I went back to see her to say, <laughs> what did you tell how you like me now? <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, the thing that the sad thing is that she didn't even remember me. Oh, wow. And how many times wow. are there influences and in people who by their very actions derail the destinies mm. of the young people for whom they are supposed to be mentoring and encouraging. Right. How many times does, you know, a, a, a path become derailed because someone says something to you that discourages you so much and you have nothing to draw from that tells you anything different. Mm. And so you give up before you have even started. So, she didn't remember me and I, you know, I, I, I reminded her of what the situation was. And what she said to me was that you're different. And I said, no, I am no different from any other student that shows up in this campus 
looking to have the opportunities to work hard, do their best with the expectation that they're going to be surrounded by resources that are invested in their success. Mm-hmm. And I'm not special. All I am is someone who had the, 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 the blessing mm-hmm. to have a community that I grew up in that always held me to a standard, had high expectations of what I was capable of and did not let me off the hook. If for whatever reason I fell short, they encouraged me to pick yourself back up, get back on the horse and keep it moving. So that was, so that was, you know, a hurdle. And then of course, went up to Harvard Medical School where I did both my MD and a master's in public health because I was really committed to this notion of how can I have impact in a much more global way mm-hmm. and decided during medical school as we uh, went through our rotations and being exposed to all the various clinical specialties that I knew I was a surgeon when I walked into the operating room when I did that rotation it resonated with me and that is very typical for different specialties throughout medicine is that you know students will find that thing that speaks to them for whatever reason and so I decided that I would be a surgeon and then this had to then figure out well what type of surgeon did I want to be how was I going to balance a couple things that were very important to me how was I going to balance quality of life how was I going to balance my love for patient-doctor relationship for even back then, recognizing that there's an art and science to medicine and the art is really in establishing these connections with patients. And that is something that I appreciate and that I value. And I wanted to be in a surgical specialty that allowed me to continue to engage with patients in that way. And so through a number of experiences, I was exposed to urologic surgery and it was that aha light bulb moment that this is it. This is really a multidimensional specialty that allows me to look at the patient in their entirety, to operate on them in multiple different ways, whether it's open surgery, whether it's robotic surgery, whether it's endoscopic surgery, whether it's some patients that I don't operate on at all. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with them in a medical perspective. There's a range of women and men and children. So that brought me to my urologic surgical training, which as very, very few women in urology and certainly even fewer black women. So there again, I was one of very, very few and learning to navigate through all of, if I thought that the pre-med advisor at Hopkins was bad, (laughs) well, magnify that by a thousand. Um, But managed to make my way through. And then when I completed my residency, got into practice all along the way, I was involved with various organizations that were service organizations, sororities, their different science organizations, mentorship organizations, and continued to do that throughout my training. And after I had completed my training, I was volunteering with some girls in in science, mentoring and creating activities for them. And because I had that exposure of my journalist father, love to write, passion for reading, I always have this part of myself that builds on story. It is part of how I'm able to 
engage patients in a way that helps them to understand what they're dealing with in terms of their disease entity, ways to simplify things that helps them to take ownership of what their disease process to partner with me in terms of helping to get, help them get better. And as I was doing an activity with the girls in science using an analogy of the subway system in New York with the heart as Grand Central Station, I was teaching them about the circulatory system. I could see the light bulb of understanding go off in their eyes. And it was at that point that I decided I wanted to start writing in science in a way that made the information understandable and accessible because I was able to coin and craft these stories in simple terms. But I also recognized the need that as we really dealt with the decrease of the, 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 the small numbers of women in STEM careers compared to the working population, how women were underrepresented in STEM careers, underrepresented minorities also were very, very underrepresented in STEM careers. And I wanted to create that bridge of developing a model, a role model, a set of images, a set of stories that began to help both girls and kids of color to connect at a very early age to what was possible to see themselves represented as positive, as powerful, as being, you know, the, the protagonist in a story where, you know, here was this black girl super surgeon that was changing lives and leading by going off on these adventures around the universe and, and, and creating solutions to problems and at the same time elevating family values and creating this intergenerational set of connections with parents and grandparents reading with their children so that brought me to my authorship and um and i think that i, I i've given you sort of the fast um yeah, train through my career fascinating you mentioned sororities are you a member of a sorority I am. I am a member of the Ladies of Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated. Okay. okay. I was just checking to see if you may be a Delta, but <laughs> we're part of the I was, I was you know, had my fingers crossed there for a minute. <laughs> so you are a surgeon, a, you know, premier surgeon, an author, a teacher, a positivity catalyst. I'm really intrigued by that whole concept. Could you describe what that's all about? expound on the whole positivity catalyst phrase. One of the things that was so important and was so clear to me throughout my journey was that this was all about what did I believe? What did I believe about myself? What did I believe about what was possible? What did I believe about how I could show up in the world? What did I believe about how others interacted with me? And it really came from this place of having an expectation of good, having an expectation that if there was a problem, that there was a solution out there, some kind of a way. Right. And so what I have developed along the way are these set of practices which are really embedded in my experiences and evidence, evidence supported. I mean, there has been this mountain kind of accumulation of data that relates positive psychology, 
positive behaviors, positive emotions to health, to longevity, to the incidence of chronic disease, to success in life, to anxiety, to depression, to almost in every aspect of our life. We make a choice to approach our life from this perspective of how can I extract, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how many negatives we encounter, because negativity is a part of life, our brains are almost kind of set to a negative perspective. How can we, in spite of those things, coexisting, the positive and the negative, how can we choose to embrace the things that add to us, embrace the things that empower us, embrace the opportunity to experience, to process, to deal with the negativity, but then to rise up out of it and to not get stuck there. And so as a positivity catalyst, I believe, as I talked about at the very beginning, that we are really all born with these tendencies. We have everything that we need to be successful. So many times we are conditioned because of the images, because of the history, because of the things that people say to us, because of the construct of these systemic um, injustices, racist or discriminatory practices, all of these messages that chip away at our sense of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that if I can help to catalyze, accelerate the conversion of what is already within us. So a catalyst is not doing anything new. It is taking what is already within you and accelerating the conversion mm -hmm. of whatever those processes are in order to get to this end point that is one of living a life that is without limits. And so that is my role as a positivity catalyst, to be that agent of change through the power of storytelling, through the power of helping to embed, that we get to choose and we get to develop practices mm -hmm. that become embedded and internalized as habits so that they become a way of shifting mindset so that as we encounter whatever we encounter in our lives, we are preset to know that if we believe that there is a way, a path forward, despite how daunting it might seem, it already informs your thoughts, your actions, you know, your, the, the outcomes. It literally becomes this domino effect. And, and you and that's your that's been your life, isn't it? When you look at the, the hurdles you had to overcome, exactly. But you kept exactly. focused on your goal. You you had that vision of being a, a surgeon, and you know, and you kept you kept focused on that. Yes. So I've been dealing with leadership in this series. So talk about how important being positive is to leadership. I mean, positivity in leadership, I think, is is so incredibly important. I mean, I would I would I would hazard to say even it's it, it, it's the probably most important element of being a good leader is really approaching leadership from a can-do perspective. Mm -hmm. That if you are going to lead and you are going to create paths for others to journey on, to join you on. You have to be able to frame what 
whatever you encounter, however you engage, you have to create a vision and a process by which you are able to galvanize the people that you're leading. You're able to encourage, you're able to add to them, you're able to motivate them, you're able to create solutions. Positivity is a process. It is not just an endpoint. And so the process of positivity in leadership is about how do you develop this approach and this process that gets people from one place to the next. And so that's why I think as a leader, positivity is a vehicle that allows you to move them from one place to the next place that you're trying to get them to. I like that it's a vehicle. I I like that. You write about the habits of positivity. Please share these, these habits with the audience. What are those habits that you write about that, you know, you talk about? These habits are five principles that I believe are, and, and, and they're supported in, in the evidence. Mm-hmm. And I have simplified and distilled them into five habits that I'm not saying anything kind of new. And if you look out there, there's somebody who says, oh yeah, there's always a solution to a problem. People talk about gratitude, but I've put them in a way that is, you know, is I think very easy to access, easy to practice. And then what is different is that I have created this scaffold that allows you to visualize and manifest the use of these habits. Mm -hmm. So the first habit is that there is always a solution. You just have to work to find it. Mm -hmm. And you're fostering solutions. If you go in (laughs) to any situation, knowing that there's a solution. And one of the things that for me, I really love about this intersection of learning and elevating and empowering. And this is my mission. As I said, it is to educate, it is to elevate, and it is to empower. And as we're constantly learning, I'm always making connections between things, always using background knowledge to develop greater understanding. And so when we break down the word solution, Mm-hmm. Solu is actually the root of the word is from the Latin mm-hmm. word solu, which means to untie a knot. So many times we think about solutions as the end point, when in actuality, the solution is the process of untying the problem. Mm-hmm. And it is in the untying of that problem that the insight, the acquisition of knowledge, the ability to network, to access resources, to learn more about yourself, to develop the faith and the strength and the grace. There's so many things that happen in that process of untying the problem that leads you to the solution, quote unquote, with the answer. But in that process, you have grown in ways that then informs how you approach the next problem that you will encounter. And certainly life is just one problem after the next, after the next. We are constantly creating solutions for the challenges that we encounter. So you are growing in every problem that you encounter. If you are approaching it as this is a learning experience for me, this is a learning opportunity, you think about it very differently. Mm -hmm. The second habit, is convert every limit into an opportunity. And there again, 
if we see our challenges as a as an opportunity, so whatever it is that is presenting itself as this limit, there is an opportunity in it. And so does it mean you're not going to be devastated at times when we deal with loss? There's so many things that create these challenges for us. Mm-hmm. But we get to make a conscious choice about how we come out of that. The third habit is to keep the positive and to discard the negative. And I liken it to the gastrointestinal tract. Life is like a diet of positives and negatives. The same like when we eat, we're taking in all manner of things, some of which is good for our body, some of which is not so good. And so we have a system within our gastrointestinal tract that allows us to process, separate, and filter, keep the nutrients and deliver them to the places in our bodies that are there required for our different metabolic needs and physiologic needs. And then we get rid of the waste. And if you think about what happens, if you do not get rid of the waste products that we generate in our bodies, you would literally develop a toxic constipated event where you probably would explode and die. And it's the same thing in our minds. If we hold on to the things that don't serve us, that are waste products, that we have processed, we have gone through this process within our system to filter through, but then we must get rid of those things. And so we must hold on to the things that add to us and we must get rid of the things that take away from us. And that that has, and, 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 and that applies to whether you're having a relationship, encounters, whatever it is, the same applies across the board. The fourth habit is that we are all divinely, uniquely here, no matter made, no matter what your circumstances are, you were played, there's no one else like you, and no one else could do what you were designated to do. And it is all linked to caring for others. So when we think about well-being, and Martin Seligman, who was the father of positive psychology, developed this construct called PERMA. What are the five pillars of well-being? P, positive emotions. E, engagement. R, relationships. M, meaning and purpose. And A, achievement and accomplishment. So we know that having a sense of purpose Mm -hmm. and meaning in your life actually creates better health and wellness. The data is showing that to be true. So it's very important as I have one of those habits to know that your purpose, uniquely designated, you have purpose and meaning, and it is linked, it linked to caring for, uh, for others. It doesn't mean caring for others at your own expense, meaning that you give, 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 right. and you never take care of yourself because we can't give from an empty cup. But it means that there's intersectionality, that we don't live in this earth and this world just to be about selfish pursuits. And then the fifth is the practice of gratitude, being able to pull out of whatever your situation is, the elements that you can be thankful for because gratitude and negativity cannot coexist. They don't go hand in hand. They can't partner. If you're thankful, you have literally let go of the negativity. And so as a practice of positivity, a habit of positivity, gratitude is one of those habits. And so those are these habits. And if you literally, the practice of layering whatever your situation on is onto those habits, onto the scaffolding, whether you image it as 
a treasure chest, uh, you know, your, your for a window of positivity, your slingshot. I mean, I have all of these visual metaphors, which are part of a book that I actually just published called Not Today Negativity, Five Habits of Positivity to Cope, Hope and Be Well in Tough Times. So we have this way of visualizing and taking these intentional times, what I call positivity pauses, to let go of all of the things that are swirling around, taking those times to center ourselves in these practices, in this way of reflecting on our lives that helps us to pull the positives out by these, by you know, subjecting them to these habits, we then develop this habit that becomes these habits that become internalized mm -hmm. and literally create the compass by which we are able to navigate through our lives. Very powerful, very powerful. So a lot, some of those positivity habits, they also seem like they can overlap with keys to effective leadership. Oh, that, absolutely. Because that, that was going to be my next question. I'm like, a lot of those can probably be applied to effective leadership. Absolutely. Right? And that's why I said that positivity is one of the key elements mm -hmm. of effective leadership because all of the things with yeah. empathy and courage and you know being a good listener and um, having this ability to be respectful and to believe in what's possible and to know that there's a solution and have this flexibility of being able to you know to wrestle and turn things over and to extract those things from it that add to you as you seek to add to your um, the people that you're leaving and, and creating a vision, right? And, and yes. transforming the way people think. Those are ways of effective leadership. Right, and, and just being, you know, grateful for the people who are working with you. Absolutely, absolutely. All of, all of that, you know, realizing that you're, you're uh, there's only one of you, you are you yes. in, in, in encouraging Yes. People you lead to absolutely. Kind of understand that as well and you know, absolutely help them to, absolutely. to really find who they are. I really absolutely. see that intersection. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you know now that you wished you knew when you first started your career? What I know now is that life is not a race and that you can slow down, that you can take the time to take pauses. We, you know, coming up to this country and training as a surgeon, it's like, and training in medicine, you know, we kind of wear these capes, like it is constantly on the go, not taking time for ourselves, not taking time to recognize our humanness and not giving ourselves the opportunity to just press pause and to connect to the, 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 the parts of life that enhance your ability to show up in whatever you do oh. as your best and unlimited self. And so I, and what I know now is that we don't have to rush. Yeah. We, can, we can pace ourselves. We can take time to enjoy the journey. We can't allow the pressure of pelting forward to detract from the fact that this is a journey and that the journey is to be enjoyed. The journey is what adds to you and what builds you up. And so if all you focus on is the end point so that you miss the lessons of the journey, then in actuality, when you get to that end point, you have missed so many of the tools that you need to be able to be most effective when you get to the end of the, at, at the road. That is awesome. 
So, you know, we are, we're living in some rough times as we wind down the interview, we are living in some rough times. So what, you know, as, what gives you hope? As you look to the future, what keeps you positive? What gives you hope in these rough, rough times that we're in? Well, what gives me hope is understanding that we are part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. That even if we think about ourselves in the context of the universe, we are but a speck in the vastness of this, of, 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 of our universe and all of the multiple, um, you know, universes combined. And so it is to recognize that we create this perspective where everything seems to be so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And in actuality, understanding that we are part of something bigger, that we are, we are spiritual beings that are connected, that we are interconnected. And even as our flesh pushes against that in so many different ways, being centered in the knowledge of your divine being, of who you are, of who we are, of what we were created to be and how we were tied together, that we are not going to be successful together until we recognize that interconnectedness. And so what gives me hope is that I look at, I look at the events even of 2020 into 2021, both of the triple pandemic, injustices, the coronavirus, and you know, all of the racial inequities and equalities, the George Floyd and all of Breonna Taylor and all of these things. And what gives me hope in spite of the devastation is that number one, that recognition is that we cannot succeed unless we're prepared to do it together. And COVID has shown us that, is that we cannot be successful here. And what gives me hope is that even though, and this is why I'm saying, let's focus on the positives, even though we see the subset of the population that is resistant to working together, the majority of the population has recognized that. So it's not 50-50 split. Right. More, it's more than 50% of people who acknowledge that we have to engage as a collective, one for all, all for one. It is not this just individual freedom. And so that gives me hope. The young people who raise their voices, who show up every day, I see in their journeys the transformation that will continue to happen throughout the generations because they are looking at life. They are looking, they're much more committed to social justice. They're much more aware and they are rejecting so much of the status quo that have been so embedded. And so that gives me hope. And it gives me hope because hope means that you are willing to act. Hope is about stepping out and taking an action. If you didn't have hope, we would just sit down, curl up and die because we don't believe that things could be different. And so I look around at all of the people who are willing to take an action, who are willing to do something, no matter how small Try it is, something, yeah. to something. And that is hope personified. So that gives me hope because that is hope literally in action. Awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Any parting words? Thank you so much for making time. I know you've got to, you know, have a really hectic schedule. I really appreciate you for taking time for this conversation. So what, any parting words? 
my parting words would be that what we believe is everything. Mm -hmm. And we make choices based on what we believe. Mm -hmm. And my parting words to you would be that if you focus, if we focus on the things that add to us, if we focus on the things that elevate and empower us, and we let go and we reject the things that are meant to be divisive, the things that are meant to be destructive, the things that are meant to take away from you is exactly that. It is trying to take away from all of the, the gains and all of the, what we are meant to be within our humanity. And so focus on good, focus on adding to someone else, focus on making a difference. And if you focus on that, and if we embrace the commonalities and the things that connect us, rather than the things that separate us, mm -hmm. then that is what being a positivity catalyst is all about. And as I define myself as a transformational leader, it is about helping others to become positivity catalysts. And so my parting words to you is that every one of us is a positivity catalyst. We have the ability to be an agent of transformational change. And I want every one of us to see ourselves. I want the audience to see themselves as exactly that and embrace that role. And if they do that, then we will continue to make the progress of little small baby steps mm -hmm. that we are seeing that we are making. Those will turn into big steps, will turn into giant leaps, will turn into you know, huge, huge jumps to be able to help for us to really manifest in this world what we were designed and created to do and to be. Yep, yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams. I really appreciate you. And I wish you all the best in your many careers. Thank you so <laughs> I've, much. I've got that, my, my book on order now. And, and give us the name of that book again. The book is called Not Today Negativity, Five Habits of Positivity to Cope, Hope, and be well. And if I would leave your audience, you can find those books either on Amazon, you can find it on my website, which is myislandofpositivity.com. And I encourage all of you to read the book, see yourself in it, connect to some of the experiences, and then to do the exercises that help you to create your own island of positivity wherever you are and be that positivity catalyst in the world. That's right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much, Dr. Fawcett. It was such a pleasure to be such here. Such a pleasure chatting with you. Mm -hmm.